0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit GalvestonBible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. All right, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles this morning to First Timothy, chapter three. First Timothy, chapter three, and we'll be looking at verses eight through thirteen today. First Timothy, chapter three verses 8 through 13. For the last several weeks we've been looking at God's high calling uh, for an elder or overseer in the church. Uh, Today we're going to look at God's high calling for deacons in the church. Uh, We're only going to spend one week on this, uh, on the qualifications for a deacon because many of the qualifications that we saw for an elder also apply to a deacon as well. And what we've seen is that the majority of them deal with the, uh, the elder or the deacon's character. So, don't talk too much about what the function of them, uh, of the offices are, more about the character of them. So, the main difference that we'll see between the elder and the deacon is that the elder um, had to be able to teach. But the deacon is not required to teach. Uh, the deacon can teach. Uh, the deacon needs to know their Bible, but they are not required to teach. Um, I asked you to ponder three questions um, as we go through this for the elders, and I'm going to do the same thing for the deacons as well. The first question is: Does the do these qualify? Do our current deacons or deacon in the church meet these qualifications um, of a deacon? The second thing is: Do those who are aspiring to the office? of a deacon in the church, do they meet these qualifications? And then the third uh, question is, do I personally meet these qualifications? Uh, as we said before, uh, these qualifications that we're gonna see about being dignified, not addicted to uh, wine, um, uh, not uh, uh, seeking uh, dishonest gain, uh, although they are qualifications for those holding the office of a deacon, they're things that should be evident in anyone whose life is a, is a Christian. And so um, you need to be examining your own heart to see if they're uh, characteristic of you as well. So let's read our passage and then we'll jump right in. 1st Timothy chapter 3 verses 8 through 13. This is the word of God. It says this, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This ends the reading of God's word. Let's look to him for prayer. Father, this is your word, and the tendency, Lord, when we start to talk about topics like this, is for people to maybe say, well, I'm not a deacon, I never plan on being a deacon, so this doesn't really apply to me, and, um, and may dismiss this, Lord, but I pray that uh, we won't do that. I pray, God, that we will be examining our, ourselves, and as each of these are laid, these qualifications are laid forth, I pray that we would uh, ask uh, that question, even personally, that says, am I dignified? Am I... Um, uh, sexually faithful. Uh, And so I just pray, God, that, um, and then when we look at those who uh, desire to have this office in the church, Lord, I pray that we would uh, pick the right people, Lord, who would bring glory to you uh, and would be for the good of this, your church. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before we get into the passage today, I want to tell you where we're going. Um, I want to look at three main things today. I want to look at the qualifications for a uh, a deacon in the church. Um, Then I want to cover the controversy that surrounds verse 11 in our text. Namely, are these talking about, uh, is Paul talking about female deacons or is he talking about the wives of the male deacons? And then the last thing I want to talk about is the function of a deacon. What exactly does a deacon do, and why is that important? Uh, The last two are going to be a little bit challenging because um, regarding female deacons, there has been a lot of stuff that has been written, books, whole books, and articles, and and podcasts that are done. And uh, the jury, in, in a lot of people's minds, is still out. Uh, regarding um, are these talking about female deacons or the deacons wives the function of a deacon is going to be a little bit difficult as well because there's nowhere in the bible where it actually says this is what a deacon does Uh, there are inferences that we can draw and we'll do that at the end Um, but those uh, two issues we're going to cover very carefully uh, today Uh, But we're going to start with, uh, as I said, the the qualifications for a deacon. As I mentioned, they're very, very similar to those of an elder. um, And they deal with the person's character. And so if you don't get it by now, the Bible is really, really concerned about your character. Um, The Pharisees in the New Testament were all about the outward actions. Hey, I look uh, holy. Hey, I am doing this. But their character, their, their, their character didn't reflect that. The inward part of them did not reflect that. And, and what um, God said to the, um, uh, to the prophet, he said, uh, God looks, or man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. And so your character is very, very important. And so the first quality, qualification that we see for a deacon is that a deacon must be dignified must be dignified, and you might almost see this as a parallel to the uh, elder's qualification of uh, being a reproach. Um, to, word, to be dignified actually uh, means to venerate uh, or to revere someone. A deacon is uh, to be someone who is serious, and everyone knows that they're serious uh, about the things of God, um, and as a result of their seriousness— And how they handle themselves and how they handle the uh, the business of the church and the the care for the church um, they command respect from other people Uh, and and as a result they attract people rather than repelling people Uh, they're showing that this is 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 what it means uh, to be a dignified person you should be able to look at a deacon and say that is an example of dignity in a person of god The next qualification, and like I said, we're going to go through these uh, quicker because we've covered a lot of them. The next qualification is that a deacon must not be double-tongued. Must not be double-tongued. The the word literally means to speak twice. Uh, It's a person who we would call as two-faced, right? They say one thing to one person, and then they turn around and say something totally different to someone else. A deacon cannot have that quality. They must have integrity in how they're talking from person uh, to person so that if they were confronted, did you say this to this person and say this to this person? You know, they would be, I told them the same thing. Um, That is a quality that needs to be. Uh, in a deacon, a person uh, holding this office by the nature of the office, as we'll see a little bit later, is really privy to some personal information in people's lives. Uh, Maybe their financial situation, maybe even their um, uh, spiritual condition, and so they must be very careful how they are talking about people, and they need to do so with integrity. They cannot be double-tongued. The next qualification is that a deacon must not be addicted to much wine. They cannot be addicted to much wine. We talked about this with the elders. Uh, Wine uh, or being controlled by drink can impair your judgment. Uh, And a deacon, as they're executing their office, must be at the top of their game, so to speak. They must be in, in complete control of their faculties. Now, this is not, I don't believe that this, completely prohibits any kind of alcohol consumption but we know we've seen our culture uh, and for someone to be a drunkard and in this kind of position in the church would be reproach on the name of Christ and so they need to be able uh, uh, to moderate their alcohol consumption they cannot be controlled by it and so that is another qualification for a deacon moving on a a, a deacon uh, cannot be greedy for dishonest gain. And this might be similar to the qualification for an elder that said he must not be a lover of money deacons by the function of their office will handle money in the church it might be ministering to the poor or the homeless it might be ministering to widows and so the deacon is going to be handling money the finances of the church and so as such he cannot be greedy the temptation would be to embezzle from the church to steal from the church and many, many have pe- people have done this in the past. Stealing from the church. They deal with the church's finances and they're taking money from the church. I think about Judas, who is not a deacon, but Judas actually followed the Lord Jesus Christ himself around the head of the church. And Judas embezzled from Jesus. He stole from Jesus. And so um, a deacon... Uh, Cannot do this. Sadly, for many, uh, money is a very powerful motivator. And if they come across desperate times and they see this money, they might be tempted uh, to take it. A deacon must not be greedy for dishonest gain. There's an Old Testament passage that I just uh, believe illustrates this perfectly. There were no deacons in the Old Testament, there was not the office, but there's a guy, King Josiah. Uh, who we talked a little bit about last week, and in 2 Kings chapter 22, you don't have to turn there, uh, verses 4 through 7, uh, Josiah is is desiring to repair the house of the Lord, and and here's his instructions. He goes, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keeper of the thresholds uh, have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house, Uh, that is the carpenters and the builders and the masons, and let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand for they deal honestly. I love that. These guys are going to be handling a ton of money. How should we hold them accountable? Oh, you don't need to do that. Because they are honest men, and they will not steal, and they will use the money for the exact purposes that they were supposed to. And this is the kind of confidence that people should have in deacons. Now, I will tell you that we have checks and balances in this church um, because we need to say, here's how the money that you give is exactly spent. It's not like, hey, we got it. Don't worry about it. You know, just trust us. We want to make sure that we are honest with that. But a deacon in the church should be able to handle money and no one should question whatsoever. No one be like, I don't know if I trust them with this money. They should be honest in their dealings. That should characterize a deacon. The next qualification moving along says that a deacon must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Uh, Notice that it does not say that he must be able to teach. He doesn't have to teach. He can teach, as I said before, but he must know the word of God and he must believe the gospel. The mystery of the faith, if you look at the word mystery in the the New Testament particularly, a lot of times what it's talking about is it's talking about the mystery that the Gentiles are now included in the people of God. And the mystery is basically the gospel that's going out to all nations everywhere. The man who holds this office must, must believe the gospel, must believe the good news that Jesus and Jesus alone is the only source of salvation. Jesus is the only way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. They must know that we, in ourselves, no matter how good you may think you are, no matter who you may be comparing yourself to, uh, comparing yourself to others, that you will never ever measure up to God's perfect standard. You will never be able to do that. And that's okay because Jesus did measure up to God's perfect standard. Jesus lived the life that you and I could never live. Never lied, never lusted, was never selfish. Jesus lived that life. And then he went to the cross and died the death that you and I deserve. Jesus was punished for no sins that he committed, but for every sin that you and I committed. And when we put our faith in him, The good news is that our sinful lives are placed on him and he was punished and his perfect life is placed on us and we stand perfect in the sight of god a deacon must not only understand the truths of the word of god those truths of the word of god but he must also follow them in such a way that his conscience is cleared and i'm not just talking the gospel that jesus saves but i'm talking holding to the whole counsel of god how it tells us to conduct ourselves in daily life the deacon lives in such a way that his conscience is cleared basically he lives in integrity not worrying about someone might bring up this someone might bring up that there's nothing that you can bring up in my life no one can grab him on anything now before paul moves on to the remaining qualifications in verse 10 um, he he stops and he says this let them also be tested first Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. That word tested means to try or to prove. Um, It has the notion of proving something uh, if it's worthy or not. Okay. You've seen those commercials, right, where it will say, uh, try it for 30 days. And if you're not completely satisfied, return it for a full refund, right? Um, uh, What they're saying is, test us and see if this product does not do exactly what we said it would do. All right? And Paul is saying a similar thing here. He's saying, test these guys. See if they are people of character, that they are qualified, that they do serve the way that they are called to serve. Let them prove themselves okay so a deacon is to be tested now before paul moves on with the qualifications of deacons in verse 12 he interjects and he talks about women in verse 11. the word wives that we see in our translation if you have the esv translation the word wives um, comes from a greek word which can either mean wives or women Okay, it's translated in other places in the New Testament as women. Here it is translated as wives. If you have the ESV, like I said, it's translated as wives. Um, Other trusted translations that translate it as wives are the King James Version, the uh, New International Version, and most other versions of uh, translations of the Bible translate it as their wives. The only trusted translation that I see in the Bible that Uh, a Bible translation that does not translate it as wives is the New American Standard Bible, which translates it as women likewise must be. Okay, now the translators are basically stating what their view of this verse is. Are they talking about women in general, or are they talking about the wives of the deacons? And so that's the question uh, before us. Once again, is Paul saying that this is a new class of Uh, officers in the church, namely women deacons, or is Paul saying, no, these are the wives of deacons? And here's what I'm going to say, is that some people have this settled in this, in their, uh, this issue settled in their minds, but nobody really knows for sure, okay? Uh, Nobody really knows for sure. There are good arguments on both sides, of the aisle. For years, I was in a very strong church. Um, uh, every church I've been in has, has been uh, really strong and I had never seen a, a female deacon in any of the churches that I'd ever served in. And so I just I, I just assumed that this was not an office for women uh, to hold. Um, and no one ever really explained, well, why don't we have deaconesses? Why don't we have females uh, who are deacons? I just believed and I just said, hey, it, it doesn't affect my life at all, right? <clears throat> um, and so I just moved on. Um, then I read uh, a respected uh, author that I've respected for years, uh, and he uh, was of the position that women can be deacons in the church. And then I, by uh, confession, I became what I would call a hesitant believer um, in women deacons. Uh, I saw the arguments and I'm like, those are pretty good arguments, and maybe I do believe that women can uh, be deacons. But I wasn't fully convinced. Um, I will say this, in the past several years, particularly the last several months, uh, as we've been talking about the issue of women, I have looked at this a little bit more thoroughly, um, a lot more thoroughly, I'll I'll put it that way. And, And I will say I am still confused on the issue. Um, but I understand the arguments on both sides uh, better than I ever have. Let me just stop here and say, why is this important? So what? Why are you taking time to talk about this right now on a Sunday morning? Why do we need to know this? Well, we want to be faithful to the entire counsel of God's word. It was written down, so it's incumbent upon us to understand, to read it and to understand it. All right? It, it's not there. We can't just say, ah, We're not going to talk about that. We have to talk about uh, these issues. So here's the question. What if we get it wrong? Right? What if we get it wrong? What if we say that the Bible says, no women deacons, and the Bible never said that? Or what if we say, yes, we can have women deacons, and the Bible never said that? What happens then? Alright? And here's what I'm gonna say about that. I don't know. Alright? I don't know. But here's what I do know is that God is merciful. Right? God is merciful. And if we are his, and if we are diligently studying his word and crying out to him and saying, teach us the truth, right, and are trying to understand these things and follow them and put them into practice. And we're, if we're sincere about that and we miss it, then I believe that he will forgive. I believe that he will extend mercy and that he will still bless a church, even if they get what I would call a secondary or tertiary issue wrong here. And especially with an issue like this, um, where it is not that clear, because there are godly men and women on both sides, and so certainly God would extend a greater degree of grace for unintentional error here. Okay, now if we're not searching it out, we're just like, ah, what do you believe? Okay, yeah, then that's another issue. But to cert, uh, to diligently search it out and say, man, I just I just don't know. I believe that God is merciful there. Um, having noted that qualifier, um, I, I will say this regarding the issue of who it's talking about, what these women are in in uh, uh, First Timothy chapter three, ver, uh, verse eleven. Uh, there are five main. Views. I'm not going to give you all five. I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give you the two extremes because there's a bunch of, uh, of uh, different ones in between. And I am not going to be able to fully explain all of these. I, I don't want to take that much time talking about them. I do believe that I need to give you some explanation, um, but I don't want to take too much time because I want to get into what an, a deacon actually does and how, it benefits, uh, how he benefits the church. Um, but I always make myself available, please ask me. You know, send me an email. Let's, let's talk about this. You know, if, um, if you're really concerned about this and we can talk about that, I can give you some resources and we can um, have a dialogue about it. Uh, so there's two views, like I said, that I'm going to uh, just talk to you today. The first is that these are the wives of male deacons. The second is, no, this is a third class. These are women who are qualified to actually be deacons. They hold the same office as a man does in this regard, okay? We're going to begin with the second one that this is actually talking about women are deacons. They can hold the same office as a man. Now, um, one author that I respect greatly and I've learned um, from for years from when I was a child is uh, John MacArthur. Uh, Many of you have heard of him, Uh, and he uh, has placed uh, before—what I read on him, I think he— sums up the best arguments for those who would hold the view that this is actually talking about qualified women and does not necessarily just mean the wives of uh, the deacons and so here's uh, what he argues the first thing that he says is the word likewise that is used it says likewise their wives or likewise women must be dignified Okay, that word likewise is introducing according to this argument a new class of officers and the reason he says that is because if you look back in chapter two you would see he says men do this likewise women do this so he's introducing one class of people and then he's introducing another class okay men likewise women and then he starts off chapter three and he says elders Must be and then he gives the qualifications and then in verse 8 he says likewise. Let me tell you about another um, uh, Office in the church likewise deacons must be and therefore when he says likewise again in verse 11 He's saying let me tell you about a third Office in the church. I've talked about elders. I've talked about male deacons and now i'm going to talk about female Deacons. Okay, so that word likewise is introducing a third office in the church. Okay, the second argument, and this is a strong argument, is that there is no possessive pronoun in verse 11. If you look at the ESV translation, it says, likewise, their wives. That word there is not there in the Greek. Okay, there is no possessive pronoun. So, the actual literal translation is either likewise women or likewise wives must be. There is not a possessive pronoun in the original Greek. A third argument saying that this is f- open for all women, this is a third class of uh, officers in the church, is um, that there's no qualification for the elders, there's no qualification for the elders' wives. Okay, So why would Paul say the wives of deacons must be dignified, but not say anything about the wives of elders? Does it not matter what the wives of elders do? Do they not need to be dignified? Do they not? uh, Can they be slanderers? (laughs) You know? Or why doesn't he mention the wives of elders? Why does he mention deacons' wives? And so that's another argument this is no he's not talking about deacons wives. he's talking about an office of uh, deaconess which brings us to the fourth our argument which is that there is no word for deaconess in uh in the greek language at the time when paul was writing this so paul could have said deaconesses but there was no word for him to use the word deaconesses so he just used the general term of woman okay so that's what he said because that general term uh, for deacon can be used either for males or females. There's a lady uh, later on in the Bible, uh, in uh, Romans chapter 16, called Phoebe, uh, who uh, has the term deacon associated with her. Now, is it talking about an official office? We, we can't say for sure, but it's used for her, even though she's a female. Um, it can be used either for males or females. Okay? Okay. But Paul didn't use it because he couldn't, because it didn't exist. A a word for deaconess, the female form, did not exist at the time that Paul was writing this. The final argument that this is talking about all women in general is that the qualifications for a deaconess, if that's what we're talking about, parallel those for a deacon. Okay? dignify that's the very first one that an uh that a deacon was supposed uh, to be as well so um so those are the arguments for yes women can actually hold the office of a deacon at a same level as a man can in the church and those are strong arguments and when i first read those i'm thinking those make sense Um, They make a lot of sense. And like I said, I became a hesitant believer in female deacons um, and even presented to people in this church, yes, here's why I believe that um, strong arguments about why women can be deacons in the church. But then I read the opposing arguments and looked at those a little bit more carefully and I was not so convinced anymore. Um, And so I'm going to go into those arguments as well. Uh, The opposing view does not see this as a third class of officers, namely female deacons or deaconesses, but rather they see it as another qualification for the male deacons, namely that their wives must be people of character as well. And the arguments go as follows, the word likewise that is used. Yes, it can introduce a third, uh, another class, but it doesn't necessarily have to do that either. Um, Paul could be saying, in addition to everything else that I've told you for qualifications, likewise, this is another qualification um, that they must have as well. Secondly, the omission of the uh, uh, possessive pronoun there does not necessarily mean that he's talking about a third class. You can't just say because he didn't say there that he's not talking about their wives. All right? He must, might have just omitted that uh, possessive pronoun. Pronoun, especially um, since wives could be uh, also translated, uh, or since that word can be translated as wives and do no damage to the text. All right. So if he meant yes, they're wives, but just omitted the person, uh, the possessive pronoun, it would not do any damage to the text. Now, true that there was no word for deaconesses at the time that Paul wrote this, but think about it. Paul could have cleared up all of the controversy if he would have just said, likewise, female deacons, right? Women deacons. If he would have just put that word deacon in with woman or women, he could have cleared up all the controversy and said, yes, this is a third class that I'm talking about. You have elders, then you have likewise deacons. Likewise, female deacons or women deacons must also be dignified, but Paul doesn't do that. And I don't believe that Paul was struggling for words or titles, as some think he was, um, when he is referring to these women. More likely, he is utilizing these words uh, of deacon and woman deliberately and precisely. But if we're talking about deacon's wives, then why does he not mention elders' wives in the qualifications for an elder in verses 2 through 7. Why doesn't he mention them? While this may seem like a good point, um, at the same time, we must ask why this qualification is not listed for deaconesses, right? You get what I'm saying? If he, if this is a third class of officer deaconesses, why doesn't he say likewise deaconesses must be one man women he doesn't say that he says deacons must be one woman man why wouldn't or one woman men Um, why would he not say the same for the deaconesses they must also be sexually pure and that's very interesting because later when paul is saying who can be included on the list of a widow who can, who can we include on the list where the church is going to officially um, support these widows? And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9, he lists the qualifications and he says this, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband or having been a one-man woman. Why would he list that as a qualification for a widow And not for a deaconess, for someone who's holding the office. Is it less important? No, I don't think so. That same phrase, a one-woman man, used for men, is now reversed and used for um, a widow. But it's not used for the office of a deaconess, if indeed this is that office. So, um, once again, you may ask this. Then why didn't he talk about the elders' wives? Why didn't he, he, he mention them? And uh, this is the line of reasoning. And, and once again, I, I want to make sure that, I'm, you know, we're not reading something in the text that's not there. Um, I don't know if I'm fully convinced with this line of reasoning. Um, but uh, the, the line of reasoning is this, that a deacon is more involved in the hands-on ministry of the church. Whereas the elder is more uh, studying the Word of God in an effort to teach the Word of God, and there's no way that an elder's wife can aid him in that teaching, right? Especially when we saw um, uh, the the prohibitions in chapter 2. A deacon's wife can actually aid him in his ministry. She can come alongside of him, and and you might even say that this would be important, right? Because if he's going to go and care for widows— Is he going to leave his wife at home and go into a widow's house by himself? People might say, hey, is that appropriate? What's going on? I see him going over there uh, quite a few times, right? So it might be implied that yes, his wife is going to go with him, right? And if his wife is going to go with him, then she is going to be privy to the information that she finds out in that household. The financial condition of this widow, the spiritual condition of this widow as well. And if she is not dignified, if she is a slanderer, then she's going to start to spread that. Yeah, my I went with my husband the other day, and you'd never guess what so and so is doing. Right, and so it's just like, hey, if you're going in and you're taking your wife in, you better make sure that she's dignified as well, that she is not a slanderer either. And so that's the line of argument that is used, therefore. And, and so what people would say is, no, it's talking about their wives because their wives will be partners with them in the ministry. Therefore, they should be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded and faithful in all things. That's where I'm going to stop with that. Okay? Uh, and I'm going uh, to tell you, those are the arguments for and against women as being deacons uh, in the church. And in full disclosure, where do I come down? I don't know. All right. I don't know if I was pushed, I know where I would come down, but this is an issue that um, uh, Tim and I are really looking into because we want to get this right. We want to get this right. We want to make sure that we're faithfully conducting ourselves in the house of God as he uh, desires us to do that. And so, um, so that's something that we're going to be looking at more thoroughly Uh, and we don't know what we're going to come down with um, because there are strong arguments as you saw on both sides but moving on if having a a wife who is dignified and such is a qualification for a deacon then uh, the next qualification goes right along with that he must be the husband of one wife the husband of one wife and we talked about this with an elder this is not talking about his marital status Right? Hey, were you married and divorced and now remarried? Oh, you have two wives. You're disqualified. No, it's talking about sexual purity. He is a one-woman man. He is focused in on his wife. He is sexually pure to her, both physically and mentally or emotionally. He is not going outside of his marriage in a physical way, nor is he going outside of his marriage in a emotional way either. So that's what it's talking about there. Finally, the final qualification is that he must manage uh, his own household well, uh, managing his children and his household well. He must be leading his family in a way that honors God and leads his children to the Lord. Now we talked about this with the qualification of an elder. There's no way that anyone can ensure the salvation of their children. You can't do that. Salvation is of God, All right? But he should be living in a way and managing his household in such a way that the gospel is presented, that Christian living is presented, and that he is modeling what it means to be a follower of Jesus for his children to follow. Finally, in verse 13, uh, Paul finishes with uh, these words. He says, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and go- also great confidence in the faith that is in christ jesus for an uh, a deacon who serves well in the church they receive two rewards in this life okay he's not talking about the life to come which will be many more i'm sure but two rewards in this life the first is that he has a good standing and that simply means that he is elevated in the eyes of the people in the church the church recognizes this person's value to the church and the cause of Christ, and they say that is an example of what it means to be a servant of God. This person is amazing in the way that they execute this office. And I believe that also as they're out in the community, the community, the unbelieving community sees that as well and says, I don't agree with you guys, but wow, that is a person with integrity. That is a person who needs to be elevated. The way that they handle people, the way that they conduct themselves, man, they need to have a high standing. And this is, not a, this is not like a deacon saying, I need to be exalted. Because a deacon normally is a servant, is a humble person who's just like, I don't want the recognition. Don't give me the recognitions. That's why I work behind the scenes. I don't want it. Um, but the church still recognizes. The second reward that I believe that they get in this life is a strengthening of the deacon's own faith and confidence in the Lord. They know that when they are serving, when they're serving with a clear conscience, they know that God's face is shining upon them. They know that they're living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And this gives them an even greater desire for further and even more intense service in the future. So I want to finish by talking about the functions of a deacon. Um, those are the qualifications. The only thing that remains is what uh, to ask is, what does a deacon actually do, right? And why do I need to know this? And the question is a tricky one, as I mentioned before, because whereas the qualifications are laid out, in scripture there's no duties of the deacon that are actually laid out now some might point to acts chapter uh, 6 and say hey the seven were chosen those were the original seven deacons uh, that were chosen those uh, seven men uh, back there and so what did they do they served food to widows they waited on on tables okay so is that what a deacon does well the first thing to know about the acts chapter six passage is that nowhere are they those men called deacons they're, they're not called deacons. What they did is that they were appointed so that the apostles could focus on their main responsibility of studying the word of God and teaching it. What they were saying is that now all these problems are coming in to the church— and we need to deal with them, but if, as the more we deal with them, the less we're able to actually study the scripture and teach those. Therefore, we need some people who can come alongside of us who can do these tasks so that we can do this task. Now, this is not saying that this is beneath me. It is beneath me to wait on widows. It's beneath me to set up chairs in this church. It's beneath me. No, it's saying that that's not the best use of the apostles' time because they are trained in Study and teaching of the word and that's where they should be spending the majority of their time So we need other people to come alongside of them to do these other Tasks now this might be getting us a little bit closer to what a deacon actually does Now the word that's used for deacon in this text is translated in many different ways in the New Testament You will you will not see most of the ways that are translated because it's not translated as the word deacon It might be translated as servant Or something like that. But it's the same word very often that is used. There was a scholar by the name of Clarence D. Agin who completed an exhaustive study of this word. And he looked at over 770 occurrences of how this word is used starting from the 6th century B.C. Going all the way to the 3rd century A.D. So nearly a thousand years of how this word is used. And, he, and he, he looked at secular sources, Jewish sources, and Christian sources about how this word was used. And he came up with four main possibilities about how this word is used. And I'm just going to go through these quickly. The first is a table attendant. It's just someone who, works, uh, who serves. Almost kind of like you might go to a restaurant, right? And they would be called a deacon. You know they come and they bring you your food anything else you need nope can I get you some water yeah okay I'll do that right that is one of the uses so they had inns back then Uh, people might serve and they're like this is a deacon that serves um, the food to the person okay so that's one use of it a second use is a domestic attendant which means this Um, they had slave master relationships back then so you might have servants in the house and so the master says hey I need you to wash this person's foot. I, I got a guest coming over. I need you to wash the feet. And I need you to prepare this meal. I need you to clean out this. And they would listen to the master. They would listen to the ruler of the house. And they would do that. So that's another. They would be turned a deacon There. A third usage is someone who um, brings an official message from someone else. So I'm like in Galveston and I want to give a message. You know, we don't have email. We don't have text message or phone calls. But I want to have a message or something delivered to someone in Houston. I would send a deacon, right? I would say, hey, I need you to go and take this to this person or give this message. So that's another way that the word is used. The fourth and final way that he discovered that the word is used is as an agency or uh, regarding instrumentality, which is one who carries out the will of another or, the t- or a task on behalf of another. In many contexts, it, it, what it is, it's the, a subordinate carrying out the assignment of a superior on his behalf. And what they do is they come with full authority that the superior ha- had. So this is someone saying, I am the king, right? And I am sending this person. They have full authority. They are not the king, but they are acting on my behalf at this point. And Agin, the scholar, his conclusion was that this last usage fits the word, the meaning of deacon as we know it. And so if those seven in Acts chapter 6 were deacons, then what they did is they carried out the orders of the apostles. They acted on behalf of the apostles And they had the full authority of the apostles as well. Hey, why are you commanding me to do this? Because Peter told me to do this. And Peter has the authority of God. And so they were carrying out their wishes. It's important also to note that when the word deacon is used in the official context of an office, it is, uh, I think, is always accompanied with the other office of an elder. We see this in our text in 1 Timothy 3 and also Philippians 1, which says, To the elders and deacons. So the conclusion is that a deacon is an assistant to the elders. Not less important, but just a different role. Whereas an elder is studying the word of God and guarding the doctrine of the church in in an effort to teach it, a deacon assists the elders. A deacon basically says, hey, how can I make your job easier? What can I do that would lighten your burden today so that you can do what God has called you to do? There is no defined role that, nope, they can only do this or this. There's no limitations to what they can do in order to assist the elders in the church. Now, I said this in the first service. I'll say it again. I'm going to get in trouble for this. Um, uh, But going back to 1st Timothy chapter 3 uh, verse 13, it says, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing. Um, I feel compelled to, to tell you that I have been in the church for about 44 years. Um, I have been an active service in the church for about 31 years. I've been in uh, about, I've served in about five different churches and never have I seen a deacon like the one that we have in this church. Um, Alan is an amazing, amazing deacon. And it was interesting uh, as Brent and I were talking about the service this past week. Um, I don't know if uh, we never did put up the picture, right? Um, uh, He's like, hey, I don't want to tell you how to preach, but I would love for you to mention Alan this week. And he had a, a picture of Alan that he wanted to show of Alan um, uh, cleaning off the dust on the fans. And Brent was like, who does that, right? Who does that? Who thinks about that? Uh, and here's what I want to say about Alan. Alan it truly has the attitude of how can I make your life easier? What can I do to make your life easier? Most of the things that Alan does in this church, we don't ask him to do. He does them without being asked whatsoever. And in fact, a lot of times we have to say, no, you cannot do this. You can't do this because, you know, you're doing so much already. In addition to that, Alan is solid in his theology. And we don't see eye to eye on everything. He will admit that. But Alan knows what he believes and why he believes it. He knows the word of God. And furthermore, Alan is just a great friend. He has encouraged me a ton, um, more than uh, you may know. Um, he is just there. He's seen me uh, at my lowest points, and he's always there uh, to give me words of encouragement. And sometimes he's, he's kicking me in the backside, um, and he does it because he cares and he loves. And I'm, uh, I am not sure of a person in this church who has seen him in action uh, that does not recognize the service that he and cindy have for this church um, they're amazing servants of god and as such alan has gained a standing in this church not something that he's seeking for but he's gained a standing of uh, being a faithful servant of god in this church um, so why do you need to know this information about deacons well first it's in the word of god right it's there we're to preach the whole counsel of god it's there uh, we want to talk about it, and it's there for a purpose When we're appointing deacons in this church, we need to make sure that they meet this qualification. We need to make sure that they are tested before they're actually placed in there. This is a very important office in the church. Okay? A second reason uh, that I mention this is because I want to urge you, just like I did for the elders, I want to urge you to pray for Alan and whatever future deacons we may have. Pray for them. Pray that he does not work himself to exhaustion. Um, Pray that he is strengthened in his faith and his service to this church and this community. And pray that he would remain faithful to Jesus and his church. A third reason why I bring these uh, to your attention is that, as I said before, we're all called to serve, right? There's not one person in here that's like, oh, that's the deacons. They serve. I don't need to. They handle it all. If your attitude is, oh, they'll handle it when you're able to handle a situation, when you're able to minister to him or or to someone else in the church, that's a really, really poor attitude. If the attitude of a deacon is, how can I make your life easier? That should be the attitude of everyone in the church. You should be looking around and saying to not only the elders, not only to the the deacons, but to anyone else in the church and say, how can I make your life easier? easier when paul's going through the qualifications of love he says love is is patient and kind that word kind actually means that they do kind things that they're looking for ways to make those around them their life easier and so i just want to encourage you to look around assess the needs of those people around you and to determine how best you can meet those needs for the glory of god and for the good of his church let's pray father we thank you for just who you are we thank you that you are not uh, ambiguous when you lay down these uh, qualifications these character qualifications and I pray Lord that um, the elders in this church would uh, reflect those qualifications listed in the first seven verses and that uh, the deacons uh, would reflect the, these qualifications that we listed today and I pray that all of us as your people would reflect these qualifications in our lives, that we would be above reproach, um, that we would be hospitable, that we would be dignified and not slanders, Lord. Um, And we pray that we would be an effective witness in this community and beyond, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.